Welcome to a special edition of the Ben Don't Break podcast. Today we are collaborating with another local podcast, The State of Bend. I am Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of The Source, and I am joined by Nicole Vulcan, our editor. Our podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper, celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. The State of the Bend podcast is powered by Mayor Pro Tem Anthony Broadman and Marcus Legrand, vice chair of the Ben Lapine School Board. Marcus currently works at Central Oregon Community College as the college and Afrocentric program coordinator, where he's focused to establish holistic support for self-identifying black and Afrocentric students and their allies to access information to create agency. He serves as a cadre member for restorative justice and equity, helping to create restorative programs and practices for the Penlapine School District an executive board member for the Fathers Group, director and co-chair for Ben Lapine School Board, and now newly Police Advisory Council. Anthony Broadman was elected to the City Council on November 2020 with the highest vote total in the history of Bend. He is an appellate court judge and lawyer whose practice focuses on representing tribal governments throughout the West. Anthony's statements are his own and do not necessarily represent those of the City Council or any client. Really excited to be here. Thank you for uh, thinking of this collaboration and uh, inviting us into to meld minds here. Yeah, we're excited for the uh, the mashup. Yeah. What are we calling it? The crossover? <laughs> uh, the crossover. What do you want to call it? Uh, the collaboration. Yeah. What do you want to call it? The big collaboration. We can do that. Uh, all the cool kids in one room and we can <laughs> throw that one out there. Exactly. This is both Bend podcasts. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. We uh, Maybe we just start by talking about... Uh, why podcasts, you know, for you guys? What what got you motivated to jump into this medium? I think it's, it's one of those things where you're just trying to get your voice out because there's a lot of things that go on and there's information that comes from various places throughout the community. So we're thinking, okay, how can we put that information out there and also have a place people can just come voice and talk and just communicate what's going on? Yeah, we were, I mean, we were talking on the phone, talking to each other on Zoom, and I feel like we... Well, especially during COVID, we sort of lacked yeah. a public square. Sure. Lacked a lot of forums to have these conversations in. So at one point, I think we just turned on the recorder. <laughs> um, and and I'm gl- and I'm glad we did because we you know we had people who I didn't think would be willing to come on and talk to us um, jumped in and we had great conversations. And and this season we're doing something different. We're talking to local businesses instead of just pol- you know politicians oh, and policymakers. Yeah. So yeah. Was it kind of partly because you found yourself uh, repeating yourself, saying the same stuff over and over? I know, like, you go on these social media channels, people are, you know, those in the know are like, hey, doesn't everybody know that yeah. this is happening? And as much as you try to get it out on, like, a official channel, it's, you know, I, probably, you know but not everybody watches the city council meeting or something. Yeah, probably. We call that message discipline. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> but at the same time, too, I think it's one of those things that – you can always find people who have the same ideals you do. There's other people who you know are not just on the fence. It's more people who are going, hold on, if you just knew a little bit more information or as they're trying to say right now in media, we're getting away from people who don't want to trust the truth. That's unfortunate. We are trying to always give truth. Like, hey, here's what's really going on. And let's really have that conversation. And, and like I think what like Michelle Obama just said here recently, it's about you know the differences. But we have differences, but at the same time, we have so many commonalities. And, and looking at how we grew up in our backgrounds, but at the same time, too, how we feel about the community. So that was the reason we just jumped on and started doing it. Yeah, yeah cool. and it's been a good opportunity for outreach, too. Like, yeah. I, back to Nicole's point, I mean, I think that's exactly right. You got to – sometimes you have to tell people something a couple of times in order for them to understand your thinking process behind a decision or opinion, and this is just another outlet to do that. Well, one thing that you said I think that resonates with one of the reasons that we wanted to get involved in podcasting on our side was that thing about No Town Square. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really evident when we were, you know, in the in the um, pandemic and we're in our offices and we're not seeing anybody, but, you know, government goes on and, and right. everything moved to social media. There was so much misinformation. You're scrambling and that as we just kind of, got out there and started talking to people it was like oh that person's 
that person's working on this. This, right. this person's working over here. They're doing doing things, and we we could start to bring somewhat of that town square back and and get a sense of you know what was actually happening outside of all the rumor and misinformation and chatter. So I I really appreciate this medium. It's been a it's been a fun pivot for us as we uh, you know got away from our computers and and uh, pens and and got into chatting with folks. And for us, I think, well, I don't speak for you, Marcus, but for me, it's been cathartic. We've gone through some pretty dark stuff. I guess we, can't, we shouldn't curse on this stream. We'll leave that for our stream. Yeah. But like. Yeah, it's, uh, you can for the source side, but I know your city listeners no, we you have might be the like. E. We have the E know? next to the episodes. The episodes. But, I, but I do feel like it's been, there have been times where we've just had to connect. And sometimes we've recorded that because mm-hmm. you got to have other people you can talk through some of these things with. And see, for me, really quick, sorry, Nicole, but uh, really quick, it's just, for me as, as a black man, it was just, I didn't have a lot of places with all the stuff that was going on from, you know, Floyd all the way to, to looking at what just happened recently. Uh, it, it hurts, right? I didn't have a place a lot of times to be able to just voice my opinion and just be able to uh, exercise those demons, I guess you want to sure. say, just a place to let, let loose yeah. and, and, and feel free to be able to do it and be unapologetic. And, and, and I love what we always do. We always say, hey, our opinion is not of the city or whatever. These are individual things, but most of the time it's right on point. And, and sometimes we have to call people out on some things, and yeah. it's unfortunate, but, hey, it needs to happen. Yeah. So before we started recording, Anthony, you were saying um, you just put another one out, but it's been a while since you've recorded one um, of your own. So on that note, you haven't maybe had a chance to talk about some of the, you know, more more recent events. Um, we thought maybe we would talk about like what's next for, you know, some of the, the events we've seen in Bend over the last couple of weeks. But I just want to like ask you generally, how are you both doing right now? <laughs> I'm good. I, I'm i super sad, but I think that that's an okay place to be. We've had a horrible tragedy with the, um, the, the murders at Safeway. And uh, the city's resilient and sad and angry, and I think that those are okay feelings to have. Um, I think it's galvanized my disdain for the plan of some people in this country for unlimited, unregulated firearm sales. Um, I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that, um, you know, we're seeing, I, I hope more support. I'm not willing to let this be routine. So, you know, I su- in my personal capacity, I support measure 114. Um, I support restricting people from using concealed weapon permits if they've been drinking or doing drugs. Um, I support a prohibition on people having loaded weapons in public places um, that you know are not concealed. And um, these are common sense firearm safety and public regulatory measures we can take to stop these mass terror attacks on our cities and our schools, our grocery stores, our churches. So I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm good and bad. I just put it that way. I'm good in the sense that. Um, I know we're working hard to solve a lot of the problems that, you know, they've been facing us here pre-pandemic. I'm sad because I look across the, you know, our whole country right now and some of the stuff that's going on in in the black communities is just atrocious and it's abysmal. And, And it's like, I don't know who to be angry at more. Is it our government or is it us as a people sometimes, right? Because I look at what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi, a capital city of a state sure. is currently has and, and on, only on one side of the city that they have bad water. And it's been like that for years. You look at a lot of those southern states are going through that. You look at what um, Newark, New Jersey is going through. Flint is still dealing with it. And a lot of those people are mad exiting those places, especially by people who have the means to do so. They're bouncing from those places. And. I know I'm going to get to the local stuff, but see, for me, those things resonate because I know if we're not establishing some of those things here, it can happen here as well. And, and we can be pushed aside in so many different ways. And people don't realize that when that happens, gentrification happens. When gentrification happens, those people can't go back and reclaim those places right. and those lands. And, and I know the work that Anthony does with a lot of the tribes definitely understand and reflects that. Now, to echo some of the same sentiments, yes, I'm in agreement with a lot of the gun restrictions, but at the same time, too, this is the opportunity for people, if they really, really care 
about the safety of their kids and, and their families and so forth and so on. Let's all really get behind some of this and really look look into why, right? This is this this commonplace thing of happening, or like he was stating, happening across our country where shootings just happen and people go, okay, whatever, it just that's what happens in this country. Really? That's what we're just going to just brush that off? That's how we're just going right. to account for it? I, I think it's more than that. And... And I think, unfortunately, I thought after the first one, we should be done. I've seen too many countries around this world be able to set gun regulations just right after something happens. And we should, we should have the means to do that if we're saying we're the democracy we we are. So. Well, I was, I was struck during that period, very, you know, small kind of thing. But, you know, I was online and saw something come over uh, one of the wires, and it was like, you know, three people shot, and I went on. I was like, oh, you know, they've, they've picked up Ben's tragedy. And it wasn't Ben. It was Washington, D.C., and it, it made me realize that this is going on simultaneously in other communities. It's not like it even pauses for one community to grieve. It's it's everywhere now, and, it, and it's happening so rapidly. I thought Nicole, uh, in the editorial we penned for the paper, spoke about the fact that um, – you know, there, there's even different classifications of level and the and the how it's normalizing uh, for us and how much we need to resist that uh, if we're going to come up with a solution that doesn't involve, you know, making this part of who we are. Yeah. You know, Marcus, you just said something that <clears throat> I wanted to kind of extrapolate upon because you said, you know, you talked about being a you know private citizen, average person, and then am I mad at the government? And like, does it strike you that now you're the government and people like what what responsibility does that you know how does it sit with you do you know either of you now knowing you are the government I I know that and that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes be honest but it's not because I realize I did it because that's my responsibility to the community right Uh, I got to go find information to find out and how to report back you know that's what I'm supposed to do right take that information take the information and run with it and try to make sure that we provide the resources that we need in our communities, right? That's why I'm fought so hard all my life to do it. So, yeah, I'm the government. Yeah, that's just a title. Who cares? Like, I'm doing the action. I'm taking that action steps and making sure it happens. Uh, so you can label me all you want. You're part of the, you know, problem sometimes. I'm like, eh, well, I'm trying to help as much as I can. And and if you can't see that and understand that, I guess, like I always tell you, you don't know my heart. <laughs> I think I've said that several times with you. It's like, so... I mean, my heart is always, you know, to try to make sure what's best for the people. So, yeah, Tyler or not, I don't care. I'm, I'm pushing forward to make sure we get it. Yeah, I think we both came to this. We were both, I would say, we were both public servants before we were elected. Um, and I think that it's a evolution rather than, you know, changing. You know, we, we stepped into these roles of serving our communities before we ever even decided to run, I think, at mm-hmm. least – it's my impression of you, my impression of me. Mm-hmm. Marcus, I'm I'm curious what it, I mean, I know it's, you know, school's just now getting into session, but I'm curious what the, you know, what you're hearing, what the, if change is in the air and what it means for students who are coming back to school at this time. Um, what we've been hearing so far and what I'm, the information I've been getting, you know, just, just talking to, you know, families and talking to, you know, those people in general is that they're happy that we have the safety protocols in place is making them feel a little bit more comfortable about coming back to school, and that's the main thing we need. Uh, the thing I, I'm loving is that also families want families to get excited about is that the fact that, you know, working on foundational reading, trying to look at some of closing some of those gaps and stuff that we talk about all the single time. Another piece we're looking at is doing a lot of equitable training for our teachers in terms of grading because we want to look at how now we can try to slide slowly away or not all the way away from having a number grading system. And that's a big contention for a lot of people because that's the system they know. But they have to understand that students are more than just the letter grade. You know, they have other tangible skills they can utilize to show what they know. And uh, I think that's what we need to get back to to a certain extent. So there's a lot of different things. But in terms of People coming back, I think it's really people are happy because it gives them an opportunity to engage again mm-hmm. and build relationships and just communicate with each other. So that's that's the kind of stuff I've been hearing so far. Yeah, do you, um, talking about the, when, when something like this happens, do you, uh, 
I mean, you want to talk about the things like the grades and how much does this pull from the other work that you want to do in helping students with their actual education? Uh, I think for me, it's just that <clears throat> I think we've used grades as an arbitrary measure of so many different things. Sure. Instead of I want to know what can you physically show me you have the capability of doing, right? Because a lot of students know how to use or understand, understand technology, but do they really truly understand how to use technology to advance their education? See the difference? Yeah. So it's like, how do you take those tangible things and learn how to not just learn how to do what you do in school, but on a job or in your family or just out here just doing something recreationally or a habit that you have? So we look at those various things and you go, okay, those are the things you want to focus on. Because I think if you just focus just on the grade piece, people can cheat the system. How many people did? All the time. Hey, if I knew I already had a 98 in here, why am I taking the final? I like to think I cheated it, but I think it, it cheated me, to be honest, <laughs> in the long run. Right. But, but look at a lot of the things they had that they took away. Think about it. When I was in school, yeah. you could get your actually apprenticeship training certificate while you were in school. Yeah. right? Or you could basically take more shop and take more home ec- tangible skills that you utilize. right? But now we've gotten away from that. I know we had a lot of factories back then. I get all those things, and it was a similar line base. But now let's look at what they can do. If a sk- kid has a gaming capability of being really good how can you use those tangible skills to be a surgeon yeah. right so, so that's why i look at it from those perspectives yeah. i'm curious about some of the questions you've been getting as a school board member in you know just following the safeway shooting we know that um the shooter you know had some designs on doing his um, act at a school um and yeah, I want to know, you know, what kind of what kind of inquiries you're getting, and also like what the conversation in uh, among the school board is around like the socio-emotional um, component of school, the the school as a connector, as a com, you know, as a place of um, of yeah connection for for folks who, you know, maybe are bullied, feel you know feel alienated, and so on. I think it, it, it listening and reading, you know. I didn't get a lot of read a lot of what the person wrote, unfortunately. That was, that was tragic that happened in our community. And that's unfortunate that this young man wasn't able to be able to get maybe the help that he needed. And I know there was probably people helping him more than we know also. You know, there's so many different ways to look at this. But um, the community lost a young man, but we also lost, some, you know, two people in that as well. Uh, and I think we need to reflect on more of, okay, is it the total school responsibility to help with those pieces? Yes. To a certain extent, yes. Also, where is the family's you know, responsibility in that as well? What is if their mental health in terms of a, as a community? What is St. Charles's piece in this too, in terms of mental health and different things we had? So it's not solely going to fall on the shoulders of the school, right? But we all know too, a lot of our social norms and stuff come from us being in school. You know, those are the things we pick up. So we understand that responsibility. So, you know, we're trying to provide, you know, various services to make sure those things get handled, right? In terms of correspondence stuff coming across and stuff like this, just like anything else, we get what we are given by the police, you know, whatever through the investigation. But, and I can get the real whatever reading that, but uh, that's only other information we get because we don't get anybody like calling us specifically, like, what are you going to do? Oh, like, you haven't yeah. gotten any emails? I haven't, no, nothing, that or nothing to like me. That? No, okay, specifically. that was kind of what I was yeah, curious about. No, nothing to me specifically. And I mean, I guess sort of the same question, you know, this is this is the thing that I keep sitting on with this recent situation is like this, you know, we know the profile of folks who commit these acts is they feel disconnected. They're often bullied. Um, you know, they they just don't feel like they're in any way connected. So, you know, we have I guess we have something going on in the city right now that's sort of intended to do that. But what do you see your role, um, Anthony, as a city councilor in kind of creating that sense of community that you know, often these folks lack. Yeah, I I think government is really good at some things and a really poor um, instrument for other things. I'm struggling with that. I think we're all struggling with that. You could see it if anybody watched our meeting last night. I guess we're recording this on a mm-hmm. Thursday. Um, council struggling with that responsibility, just like I'm sure our county commission is, just like I know our school board is. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you create the connectivity that prevents this from happening? Obviously, one tool is to make sure that there's not ready access to deadly weapons. Mm-hmm. Setting that aside, I do think we need to look at ourselves as a nation. We have the same gun being used by the same disillusioned young man, typically white, who follows a pattern of disillusionment and violence. 
And that is a, that is a terroristic act. It's meant to terrorize us. It's meant to scare us. It does scare us. As somebody who experienced gun violence as a child, this is never going to go away for the children who are experiencing this in their community right now. So let's be honest about it. If we're not honest about the problem, we're going to keep doing this. That's the definition of insanity. I do not have the answer. I do think we need to reexamine what we're doing with um, – with young people in this country in terms of service and having a, a connective tissue for people who, as soon as you leave our amazing schools, what happens? Because we know your brain isn't developed fully until you're 25. For me, mm -hmm. it was a lot longer than that. <laughs> like, so, I, I mean, I, I'm Mike, you know, I, I also serve as chair of the Central Oregon, um, uh, Central Oregon Area Governmental Council, which is a, Council of Local Governments, and one of the things that I'm very proud of that we do is our service for young people. Yeah. Um, so you can have an opportunity to learn, a, you know, learn a craft, have that bridge to whatever your profession is going to be, or get the job training, or just have a year of learning like I did. I worked for the Park Service for five seasons after college. Um, but that service to your community, that service to um, learning how to work with other people, I think is, you know, it's not going to solve all this, but it's a really valuable tool that I think we underutilize as, as a country and a community. And I hope that that's one of the answers to this. Yeah. You know, Anthony, there's also been some discussion, and I don't know how much you hear about it, of people who feel like for city government, and this is true, especially for the county, you know, they're, they're tasked with land use. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, um, you know, land use is what they should be focusing on, right. and and what is you know why why does the city get involved in social issues when you know you're you're tasked with managing a budget? And mm. um, I'm just wondering how that if that's changed, or you know, certainly it seems like it's changing, but how does the council come together to resolve that, especially when there's so many of you from different backgrounds? Yeah, it's a it's a huge challenge. I mean, I, I would re completely reject the notion that our, you know, our lane is confined and you will hear this in November in the political campaign that we oh, should yeah. focus entirely on core services. Right. Let's be really clear. We oversee the city manager who oversees the police department. That is the vast majority of our general fund budget is police and fire. That is public safety. And that is a responsibility I take very seriously. So if, you know, we can call it a social issue, you can call it public safety. That's my responsibility. That's what 38,000 some Bendites told me to do. Right. Um, so I, I reject the notion that we're, we keep hearing, stay in your lane, like make sure our roads are paved, make sure the, the sewer pipes are connected. Also, we can chew gum and walk at the same time. This city is running like a top. And I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of our core services, how well we do respond, given the growth we've had given the difficulties we've had with workforce and, um, you know, and, and, and our very, very limited property tax budget, which is basically frozen. So, yes, we should be responsible and do excellent job on core services. We absolutely have to hit a home run on making sure that people are safe. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was, I was thinking the same thing when Mark was, was talking about, you know, in the last run or in the last two years, there's been a lot of conversation about, Let's just go back to the basics, reading, writing, arithmetic. And now we have this thing that goes on that really shows like, hey, community, anti-bullying initiatives, stuff like that really matters. I don't know if you want to respond to my comment, Marcus. Um, yes, mental health is always a key focus. For me, I, I'm, I'm a certified counselor, you know, I was a high school counselor for a number of years. And the thing I think people don't realize is this. Counselors are not there just to do your schedule. They're there to deal with a lot of the social emotionals. I think we got that confused. And, and I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of administrators have got that confused. That person is not there to do scheduling. When we got our master's degrees, it says in there, you are here to help build curriculum, which will be essential. Because if you can build a curriculum that supports, you know, students who basically so they're not feel like they're marginalized or bullied or whatever, or at the same time, too, I have more time to now do more groups so I have more RJE time. Do I have an opportunity to be able to work with the career counselors to be able to figure out how we can bring industry to work? So if you're giving students outlets, 
something to do, something to be a part of, I think it allows them to be able to do more. So when I hear that, okay, let me take a step back even further. Let's look at what Nixon did. Nixon nixed a lot of those programs that we had for people, especially in my neighborhoods, Mm -hmm. I'm just being honest. In 80, Reagan comes down with his his piece of work, right, in terms of things he take where you couldn't get, uh, I think, something. You couldn't get your degree anymore and incarcerated, being incarcerated. Then you look at what Clinton did in terms of looking at three strikes and you're done. So think about it, how all those different attributes and all these different resources and stuff have been pulled away from our schools, right? Now we're having to go back and re, you know, kindle some, rekindle some of them, but at the same time recover some of them as well. Now, what ultimately what you're saying is this, Nicole, and hopefully I'm, I'm correct, is yeah, we got to get back to to the basics in some ways. We got to start building relationships again. Okay, I can walk in a lot of schools right now, and I don't, I do not most of the time see a lot of teachers standing out in the halls greeting kids. Okay, I mean I used to be greeted by my principal every day when I walked into a school. He knew everybody by their first name, and we had 1,200 kids. See what I'm saying? But he knew everyone. That's that that connectivity we don't talk about enough, right? I understand we're getting volunteers back into the schools, which is phenomenal. We need those parents and we need those retired teachers to be able to help with those pieces. Those where those relationships come. Additional teachers, I'm, I'm begging you, do me a big favor. Please continue to be relationships with all kids in your class. I am tired of hearing kids tell me, hey, guess what? Most teachers don't even know my name. And I'm the only black kid in the room. How hard is that? Okay, yeah, so, sure. you know, so this will really get back to building relationships. I think that solves a lot of the problems. And that, and that means relationship across a lot of ways. Principals need to talk to vice principals more. Vice principals need to talk to deans. You know, you understand the whole system needs to be, in my mind, not completely blown up, but definitely re, re, revamped in so many ways. So, you know, maybe this is an okay dovetail into, you know, just welcoming week. I believe <laughs> that's kicking off this week. Yeah, and there's a bunch of events scheduled. The idea is that there will be something that fits everybody's schedule. So check out – is this coming out soon? We should check out the Bend – Welcoming Week, the website on the city's or the the page on the city's website, lots of events. I mean, I felt like last year it was kind of it was we tried it was a little stifled given the pandemic situation. So I'm hoping this year we have good turnout and you know more maybe connectivity. maybe just for listeners not familiar uh, because it was uh, pandemic little pandemicy last yeah. time. What is Welcoming Week? Welcoming Week is, um, you know, a, it's bigger than Bend. It's a program that you sign on to and, and basically have to live up to, which is making sure that everybody feels welcome in your community. What it means practically is that we have several events scheduled led by community members, um, the city, and including, you know, we have our new, um, we have our new uh, Anna Allen, who's the mm-hmm. diversity and equity and inclusion coordinator at the city. Um, Zavi Borhat, the city, who's also working on it. Um, the idea is just to have people make sure that, you know, they understand that refugees, immigrant communities, um, LGBTQ, two-spirit plus communities, BIPOC communities are us, right? The, mm-hmm. We are them. Right. These are our neighbors. And um, I think it's especially important after a pandemic to make sure that we don't forget that this isn't, uh, you know, this is not a homogenous city. Never has been. Yeah. People keep saying that. That's it's not true, and I think it's a I think it's a harmful statement. Um, so I uh, that was a little bit of a that digression, but I think that <laughs> welcoming true. week. Is, no, I think that's what welcoming, welcoming week is to you know, you know have have those connections, rekindle those connections, and really take a look at who we are, which is a diverse, vibrant community. I I mean it is. It is one another one of those areas where people are going to say, "Hey, you're you're walking and you're chewing gum. Could you spit the gum yeah. out and get back to potholes?" Totally. And, mm-hmm. um, what do you say to those people? Yeah, I just, I mean, I completely reject that notion that um, governments should have blinders on and sort of ignore inequity when we live in systems that are built to further oppress us. Uh, I think if you do that, then you're just continuing collective oppression and that's not what I was elected to do but I I love it when people comment on that because it gives me the opportunity to tell them all the great things we're doing with core services Mm -hmm. Um, our pavements in better shape than it's ever been in we've done more for people experiencing homelessness than any council I would argue in the history of Ben we've got more transportation projects as everybody complains about going right now than we've ever had uh, in the history of Ben, we're embarking and spending the money that 
the voters of Bend directed us to spend with the transportation bond. We're working, we formed the first collaborative office on homelessness uh, ever in, um, in the city of Bend in Deschutes County as a result of Bend's advocacy um, to pass House Bill 4123. We've got Stevens Road opening up, which is the first social housing project of its kind in the state, not just in Bend, which will have teacher priority housing, affordable housing, and a, uh, one of the densest master plan communities in the history of our city. So um, I guess that's the walking part. I think we can chew gum too. Right. Yeah, I, I know that uh, if, you, if you're giving me my list, the, the most passionate thing's gonna be snow plowing. I hear yeah. people are already already thinking about I like about that life. you guys are getting ahead of that. <laughs> or no, it was the Bulletin had the, oh, whoa, whoa. the Bulletin yeah. had the editorial, well, not you, sorry. I know, plowing won't come up for us until <laughs> After the election season. Yeah. <laughs> we only have them once a week, you know. Yeah. We don't have to dig so deep. That's true. You, know, you like, gotta go snow it. in uh, <laughs> September. Marcus, did it look like you want to say something? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm always, no, he's good. Like I said, I think we always are, yeah, definitely, I think sometimes we forget to toot our own horns on things that we are doing that are positive. Yeah. I think the Welcome Week helps do that. Um, like, for instance, I know on the 12th of this month, which is Monday, um, uh, COCC is doing a principles of community and how do we actually take those principles that they use at COCC to integrate them into the community. And that's going to be a great community conversation and I hope people can show up. It's from uh, t- 10 to 12 at the college. And then on the f- 15th of this this uh, month as well, we're going to be having something at Utilitarian Church. It's going to be Integrity. Uh, I think it's led by Thea Vaughn, and it's going to be a belief starting at 6 o'clock at that church. All proceeds go to FAN and to the Fathers Group. It's going to be a great community com- conversation as well. Okay. And then finally, on the that Saturday the 17th at Open Space, uh, starting at 6, the Fathers Group is going to have a community conversation, but they're going to have a lot of elect officials to be able to be there to have these conversations that we're having now. Uh, I think that would be essential for everyone to hopefully can show up to those pieces, because I think those are the things that we don't talk about enough. That's that other work that we got. Yeah, I may just keep using that chewing gum analogy from here mm-hmm. to like probably next <laughs> July. It's a good one. Yeah. Do you have your gum? I you don't. Know, are you, oh, oh, are they? We're gonna. It'll be in our endorsement. Yeah. It was like oh, I think this person can walk and chew gum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's on that note, I mean, maybe we can touch just quickly on a homelessness you know, in our community. Um, if you go hop on next door, it's like the number one topic and the city council is clearly the number one villain. Mm. Um, you know, what, what does that look like day to day to try to message around that? You know, we talked, we started this conversation talking about how the podcast is another vehicle to mm-hmm. share information. This just seems like one that's just like wildly out of control. Everyone's got an opinion. Probably a lot of folks not super informed about what's actually going on. Yeah, I mean, I do not pretend to have like a messaging answer for this because we have a national housing epidemic. Um, We have massive behavioral health problems that are, you know, whether you think they are a cause of that or a symptom of that, it's sort of irrelevant to me because my job is to get people in shelters and homes. Mm. So what I try to do and what I think council and staff do an excellent job of, better than I do personally, is just explain to people what we're doing. And, and I don't want to play the blame game because I don't think it really helps. But we also have to acknowledge that homelessness in this community has increased at roughly the same percentage every year for roughly the last decade. The pandemic didn't really cause... Um, you know, a statistically significant different increase in the people experiencing homelessness. So the idea that, you know, council is going to get elected and turn this aircraft carrier in one years, one year or two years or three years or four years is probably unrealistic. But I can tell people what we're doing. And I'm really proud of it. We um, got into office, immediately went to Salem, worked with Rep Krupp to pass House Bill 4123. The idea is you got to have central governance in, com- in a community to deal with a problem of this size, mm-hmm. with a challenge for the people who are experiencing it and the house community. Um, without central governance, I, I sort of think we've been putting this government-sized problem on nonprofits for too long, and look at the results. Isn't it interesting that on one hand someone is going to accuse you being a government official of, you know, not being able to solve these problems that, um, you know, existed before your tenure and also now exist, you know, one, two years in. 
and at the same time tell you that you just need to focus on core services. <laughs> totally. It's like, okay, which one? I yeah, mean, and usually that's the, I mean, the same folks. Yeah, and that's fine. Like, I, that's what we sign up for as public public officials, public servants. Like, we have to be able to deal with complex situations and, and tell people facts so that they understand how I am serving that person who's very upset. Right. And I'm okay with that. Like, that's that's exactly what we signed up for. I mean, one of the things that strikes me about social media and a lot of these conversations is there's usually a large group that thinks that this problem is going to be solved, mm-hmm. that homelessness will, by the end of your term, be done and then we'll go on addressing some other concern mm-hmm. rather than um, – it's like you said. I mean, you can see it, it's, it'll always be with us. I think it's the quote. So. Right. I think right. there are elements of homelessness in our community that we can greatly improve. I do not think it's acceptable – in 2022 to have 259 plus children in Ben Lapine schools experiencing homelessness. I do not think it's acceptable to have a single veteran homeless. I do not think it's acceptable to have the growth in chronic homelessness that we've had in this community. And those are all elements that I'm hopeful with this new collaborative office that we formed with Deschutes County. We got funding from Salem from eight other counties, rural, conservative, ex-urban, liberal. They all looked at this bill and said, whoa, Bend did that? We want to do that too. And they all joined. And the legislature funded offices in those communities too. So it was a, you know, it was a great idea from Ben born idea. And I'm proud that counties across the state are taking us, taking our lead. You both have a, you know, sort of official capacity in dealing with the cops or, you know, working with police. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious about your take. You know, one of the criticisms that is thrown around is that there's not enough enforcement. Um, You know, I've personally heard from, you know, our chief about, well, if they don't see a crime, they can't Mm -hmm. go, you know, prosecute that. Folks think that, you know, they they should just go round folks up. So curious, you know, what conversations are happening, you know, from your end with police around that topic? Well, you're on the advisory board. So I remember this newly <laughs> advising. Yeah. No, September 15th is when we were supposed to start. That was our first meeting. Um, for me, the reason I think I joined to be a part of it was because from an educational standpoint, because I know most black and brown students are policed a little differently. I know we have SROs and the thing we are going to be fighting for, well, I'm going to be fighting for on that council is the fact that we need to have better training in terms of how to deal with social emotional pieces and issues with students. I want to make sure we can figure that out because of not just the shooting, but of all things, because I want to make sure that we have them trained in those things. I'm trying to get to a point one day. I know people are proud about wearing their uniforms, but for me, I'm trying to get it to a point where I want people to feel like they're human. Yes, I know you're a policeman, but I don't have to see that uniform because it's very triggering to some students. Right. Um, But I know that may not happen, but I'm just saying I'm just optimistic. I'm just trying to get us to look at and also the verbiage matters. I don't like the term policing. Can we call it something else, right? Some people would say terrorism. Some people would say other things, especially where I grew up uh, in North Carolina. However, I think we need to look at trying to change some of those things. I'm not saying, like, the word defunding. I mean, come on, that's not the word I'm using. Let's really reallocate. Let's really figure out what we can use uh, their skill sets in other ways because we're asking them to do a lot of stuff that we should just be handling as regular human beings, okay? And we all can agree to that. So... That's my side of trying to be that. In terms of relationship police, that's what I'm trying to establish. Because I know I'm not going to get to everybody, but at least I can get them to have a conversation. Then I think it's a little bit easier. Yeah, I know, Anthony, um, one of the, you know, in terms of the camping code enforcement, there's a big Mm -hmm. conversation around who's going to enforce that. Again, is this going to be the police going out there? I mean, I know that is not answered. Maybe that's a jumping off point for you. No, it's fine. Yeah, and and just to sort of say and to, to what Marcus said, I mean, I, I, my brain is a little bit broken in this space because I represent police officers, police departments. I also prosecute 1983 civil rights claims. Um, so I do not pretend to be unbiased and or, you know, I have a very specific view of policing in this country and I can't separate it from my professional experience. So it's always valuable for me to hear um, viewpoints on that. As far as the police's role when it comes to the public health crisis that we are experiencing right now, we are embarking on really clarifying camping regulations in this city. There's no final code yet. We don't know if it'll pass. But as we craft that, my goal the whole time has been let's give clarity to social workers, to county public health, to, yes, police, 
to the housed community, but most importantly to the unhoused community, let's give clarity about how we're all going to use this public space. This isn't targeted at making camping in Bend so unpleasant that you leave. That would be uh, probably ineffective, and it's probably illegal. It's it's also probably unethical. So what what we're doing is like we regulate the size of signs and regulate we all want to have people shoveling your sidewalk when it snows. This is a much more important issue. We're talking about, you know, where human beings are living, but why would we have our blinders on in this one little regulatory area where we don't regulate at all? It doesn't make any sense. So I want to give clarity to the entire community about where people are not going to be allowed to camp. I think that's part of a well-ordered society. That well-regulated public space, we have to do it equitably. We have to do it carefully because there are people's lives involved. Um, but I also like, I'm not willing to just like put a put a blinder on when it comes to one area. But you know I would push back normally in our podcast and say, so why is it that we don't see many camps on the west side? Well, I don't, you, do you mean unmanaged camps? But we always look at yeah. we look at proximity yeah. to you know to wealth versus where most people set yeah. up camps. I I would say per I mean I'm I this is not uh, this is not data driven, but I believe that if you looked at where people were camping, you would not see a great discrepancy between you know the forest to the west side of town versus the Juniper Ridge outside of the UGB or Hunnel out, outside of China. I would I would suggest that we have challenges to the, for the human beings living in all of those places, and I, I'm also really proud of the you know the the institutions on the west side of town who have taken up the mantle that we've given them on safe parking, which is really I think we all agree unmanaged camping is unacceptable and it it's not safe for the people in it. It's not safe for the people around it. And it's one of the things we should focus on making sure that people are healthy. Our neighbors are healthy, whether they're housed or not. Yeah, I do know, um, you know, anecdotally, and this is not data-driven, there's a huge uh, conversation going on about the safe parking at Unitarian mm-hmm. Church. Some folks are pretty upset about that. That just, to me, you know, because maybe it's confirmation bias was that thing where I say, oh, look, the West Side residents don't want this. They can't, they, they don't want two RVs in, in on the West Side mm-hmm. parked safely under guidance and so on. Like I said, I don't know if that equals the number of, you know, feedback pieces that someone on the, the church on the east side got, but it seems like there's a whole thing going on with yeah. that. Well, I would say, and again, anecdotally, that the projects that we have been associated with, for instance, on 9th, um, the service providers who were going to do that work were scared off by neighborhood um, resistance, and that that's not unique to a west side or east side um, uh, sort of response. I think that there's a lot of fear when it comes to um, some of these amazing projects. There was a lot of resistance to our purchase of the Division Street Hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a very nice area of town, um, very close to there. And we got a lot of resistance to that. There was a lot of resistance to the Rainbow Motel purchase, which mm-hmm. is in the BCD, but is very close to um, I would argue people who have a lot of influence in this town and have a lot of money invested in the BCD. Um, I think it's completely rational for people to be scared, and that's okay. It's my job to explain the facts that getting people in shelters is better for all of us. Um, it's better for the people who are housed, better for the people who are unhoused, better for police. It's better for St. Charles. It's better for um, the county public health department. It's better for the community to have people in shelters. Definitely. Well, we are wrapping up our time. I just want to, you know, give you guys an opportunity to say anything that we didn't talk about. Well, on, well, since we are doing a mashup, well, we can mash up the ending of our podcast the <laughs> yeah. way we normally do. So we didn't we, get to ask you any questions. Yes, yes. Ask did you want to ask us any questions? Because uh, yes. we don't do well with that. But like, well, I know Anthony you know. has like a journalism background. Maybe he. <laughs> this will be this will be our question. It'll be a question. Okay, so what we normally do is at the end of our podcast, we always have a Harambe Nujima set part of our podcast, and what that is is what is your good news. So what good news do you have to be able to put out into the public? But the one thing I do want to ask you, Nicole 
Capitol before we talk. I want to definitely have a conversation about the adopted population here and the article that Mr. Miller-Jones wanted to present. And he said he was wanted to present it to you guys, but we'll talk about that on another day. Or maybe that's a whole podcast. This isn't ringing a bell. All right, we'll talk. Okay. Okay, so because we really want to look at um, that population because there's a large population of adopted kids from Africa here mm-hmm. who have you know white parents. And I really would love to have that and dig into that a little bit because the reason I'm saying this is because, yes, you adopted a kid of color. They're from Africa. They're not African-American, but they took the weight of a lot of the – you know, what happens to most African-Americans in this in this country. And then also as a parent, yes, you did a great job and you've given them monetary relief in some ways and given them diff- different support in other ways too. But what is your obligation of them knowing more about not just their heritage, but also some of the heritage we have as African-Americans? So yeah. Cool. I want to hear more about that for sure. Back to Harami Yajima. Sure. What is your good news uh, that you guys have for us today? Um. I guess the thing that struck me this year, and I mean, I don't, I know, I mean, I don't know what people normally focus on, but I was blown away by the response to all the forest fires and how, and I don't know, you know, what it was about this year, but you know, there were ton, there were tons of them. The those responders got out there, put them out. I would hear about this one; it wouldn't last very long. Very different from hmm. from especially last year when we were, you know, suffocating in that smoke. And, you know, I went for a run on on some trails uh, out in Tumalo and saw some guys positioned out there. I'd never seen that before. Hmm. And, you know, I, you know, as a newspaper, we haven't done any deep dives into the systematic approach that firefighters take to defending, you know, bend from these kind of things. But, Boy, it seemed like they were on top of it. So that'd be my good news. You know, That's I've been super relieved not to have to suffer through all that smoke this year. And, and I think a large part has because I think they're evolving. It just feels like they're on top of it. So hmm. anecdotally. Yeah, I mean, as a journalist, I'd have to push back and be like, there's uh, evacuations happening in the Cascade Lakes Highway right now. Yeah. Good job, firefighters. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you two have to say one before I go? No, we go after you. Oh, well, okay, so it can as be a, as mundane or as <laughs> no, philosophical as you want. Okay, so Aaron's was good. You know, as a mother, as a supervisor of other professionals, as a community member, as an editor of this paper, you know, I've been thinking a lot about um, healing and like what we can do. And so I shared this with my team last week, and I was like, oh man, should I have shared that? That's kind of woo and like kind of <laughs> whatever. But um, just was reading or listening to a podcast and they talk about, you know, down regulating your um, fight or flight response. Mm. How can you like get out of that constant like cycle of just being like hyped up? There's so much going on. You get on Twitter, you go on here, you're just like, ah, you know, you never cycle down. So there's a number of like techniques, you know, um, one of them is movement or breathing. The other one that is so sweet is just a big long hug so like if you hug someone for 15 seconds or longer your you know your body just relaxes and like a real hug is just you know basically don't underestimate the value of the hug Mm. you know it's not it's not hippy dippy maybe you can even hug a tree and it would still work (laughs) like (laughs) if i'm just going super woo i'm like hug the tree hug your friend hug your mom whatever it is but that's my good news that is great news just on the hug thing really quick, it's kind of post. I, I know that there were a lot of huggers pre-pandemic, and I've noticed that, that hugging is down. Mm. It's definitely per, per uh, percentage, there's fewer huggers. It used to be a big bend thing, I, I, I swear. Everybody was guys, women, huggers. Fewer huggers now, I'll just mm. say that. So it's good to hear that that's being promoted. That is true. You know, social distancing hug, that doesn't work. Like, are we in a place where we can hug again? I, I don't know. I you think last time you good. and I were together, we both had COVID and we didn't oh, know God. it. Anthony, I can cut that if you want. Busted. <laughs> we didn't know it. It was really funny. But yeah, I think hugging is like a little bit on the hot seat. I think, I, th- I also think like, I also think, I, I mean, I, this. This could definitely be cut. I'm asking more, like, are you ready for a hug? 
right? Well, do you, we yeah, consent, you know, yeah, consent's exactly. in there. Yeah, but like, yeah. is it, you know, it's more like, are you down? Do you need a hug? Like, especially in pseudo professional settings, it's just. Right. It's, you know, like I said, I get it. Like I said, it's almost a trust thing. Because, like, for me, is it if I hug you for 15 seconds, okay, it's like Harvey Weinstein going to come out? See? See? Come running out of somewhere. You probably have to cut that, too. Uh, is it going to come out of anywhere and just be like, see, this is what I'm talking about. Well, that's what got you in trouble, dude. Anyway, so, um, but you know what I mean. Like, dude, how does that work? Totally. I, I think it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, it's on the outs, but, they, I mean, I, I think the research is definitely there that that is a very positive thing. And, yeah. and it might be worth... Uh, some, some little hiccups so, on the way to getting back there. So you're saying between the high five and the hug, which one's out first? The kiss. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just came back from Italy. I mean, people are still kissing so kiss. a I lot. I know. You know I, I was just there kisses, too. I get it. Yes. Like, we're both there. Yeah, we're both there at the same time. That's yeah, weird. Uh, uh, I know. I didn't see you, Marcus. Oh, I know. I know. So many people. <laughs> Um, my good news is it was way more mundane. It's just that cyclocross starts tonight, oh. and I'm excited about that. Good to see people. Are you riding? Good to get heckled. Yeah, are you going to compete? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I always man. do. I finish right. toward the end, but I, I love yeah. getting heckled and getting dusty. And yeah. That's great. I'm excited for that tonight. So should I put that on next door? Like, hey, if you really want to give some feedback to yeah. Anthony Broadman, you should go to the Thriller. No, you may do that, but... People have my cell phone. They can come to any city council meeting. That's one of the great be, things is that much, I am a be much open... better to bump you as you're going over yeah, the, the they, guardrail. Oh Most hey. <laughs> Really think they would bump you? Yeah, I just, I mean, I don't think most of them can keep up with me. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, and it been torch has been passed. <laughs> anyway, so my good news, uh, you know me, I'm always trying to put positivity out to the world. Um, two things: uh, one, uh, the Ujima program kicks off on September 21st for the fathers group, all fifth. Uh, through 12th graders, please, and families, please let your kids come and be a part of this community opportunity. I think it's a great opportunity for students and their families to learn more about the Afrocentric culture. Guys, we teach you Swahili. We teach you so many professional things. You get hands-on uh, work, and you get to do it all for free. And you know, you have tutoring opportunities. And yeah, we always provide food for the kids, you know, just to have something to be able to do. Uh, and my last piece of good news is is that I'm really proud of my two kids uh, going back to school. Uh, they're they're happy. They're energetic, and from based on last year and this year, just two totally different hmm. kids going back to school. That's, cool. That's and, awesome. And, and it's really really good to see them be ready to flourish. Just real quickly, do you want to say a shout out to where people can find out about Ujima? Sure. Uh, you can find out Ujima actually is on the source page. I actually put it, put it up on the event page. It's on the visit Ben's page as well. Uh, also, if you go to thefathersgroup.org, you can find the information there. Also, if you go to Ben Parks and Rec, you can find the information there as well. So, like I said, sign-ups for free. The kickoff is the 21st, 6 p.m. at the uh, Education Center or the district office. Please hope to see your families there. Awesome. So now is the time when we share thank yous. Like we share a thank you to Anthony Broadman and Marcus LeGrand for being on our podcast. And thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Aaron. You are you are the best podcast in Bend, and we appreciate you letting us mash up your episode. Thank you, guys. It was really a pleasure to have you both. We could have talked for hours. I feel. Yeah, we'll talk. We're soon. not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.